it is a pleasure to be with you in this community, home builders. That is really cool. Uh, Mark told me, am I getting feedback because I'm too close to these speakers? Um, what a great, Mark told me what a great group you are. I was looking forward to just spending some time with you. Um, thanks for what you do. I'll bet there are some incredible stories that you could tell. And my life, hey, this is a God thing. Um, it's all about him. As Mark said, uh, my grandparents were Alliance missionaries that went to Belgian Congo, where my mom was born. And then my parents went back to the country of Gabon, uh, where I was born. And when I was uh, eight years old, I gave my life to Christ. And then when I was in college, uh, I made my Savior, I made him my Lord as well. I think I was about 17 years old when, in a missions conference, um, I don't remember who it was, but I remember very clearly God saying, I want you to serve me. Uh, I want you to serve me. I want you to minister. And I didn't know what that meant exactly other than that I needed to get trained and I needed to follow that. And in that particular time frame, uh, that meant going to, a, to, to college, to a Bible school, an Alliance Bible school on the East Coast called Nyack College, um, where I met my wife, Fran, and we just celebrated 41 years of marriage this last summer. Yeah, I, I, there are some who probably have way surpassed that, and others of you who are just getting started. It's been fantastic. And as Mark said, we have three kids. Uh, one was born in upstate New York, and we were doing our home service. Uh, and the other two were born in Africa at the, the Bungalow Hospital, where Dave Thompson serves. Um, so those two and myself make three out of the five of us who are Gabonese, and it really bugs my oldest son, who lived in Gabon longer than his brother and sister, that he can't say he was born there too. Um, the beauty of that, of, of the reason I'm telling you that is when our kids were in first grade, we had no schooling options other than boarding school. We could have sent them to the local uh, Protestant school that was just down the hill from where we lived. Uh, the problem with that in my mind was that the director of that school had a diploma from sixth grade. So that really wasn't an option for our kids. So we sent our kids to boarding school from first grade on. So very early in our lives, we were empty nesters. But in God's richness and his blessing, he's brought all three of our kids, and they live in Colorado Springs near us. And so we're very, very thankful for that. And after living overseas for well over 30 years, being back with our kids and the grandkids is just a blessing that we, we, really, we really thank God for. There's no question about that. Um, when, I was, when, when I was 25, uh, the Lord said, okay, it's time to go. Um, and we went to France for a language study, uh, French language study, the beautiful language. Uh, sounds so good. We lived in Germany for 12 years, and I would go across the border just to hear French spoken because the difference between, if there are any Germans here, I apologize. Um, but... It, it sounds like they're clearing their nasal passages all the time. <laughs> and French just rolls beautifully. And anyway, we learned the French language. Now, I had an advantage having grown up speaking French and something else, uh, so I was a little more advanced. But we had a great time in Albertville, France, and then went to Gabon, where we served for three years. As Mark mentioned, uh, Dave Thompson was there. In fact, Dave was one of the ones who met us at the airport, and we traveled with Dave and Becky down to, to Bongolo. Um, and 
dropped us off at the very station where I was born that my dad had built. And we lived in a house that I remember my dad building when I was a little kid, which was really kind of cool for the first year. Um, on the main house, in, the, in my old bedroom, there were still pencil marks of growth up to a certain level. Uh, they were still there. I guess no one had ever painted it in the multiple years that had passed from when we left the field. Um, so we were, we were in Gabon for three terms. Coexi- well, Dave Thompson was obviously down at Bongalo and got to know Dave and Becky real well. Their kids and our kids grew up together. Uh, Dave and I would play basketball. Um, we served on leadership on the Gabon field. Uh, a lot of good stuff. It was kind of fun, though, because Dave, when, when I would go to Bongalo, he would say, hey, come on, I'm doing some surgery today. Come on in and uh, do surgery. Well, I didn't do surgery. I was just present in the room. And it was really kind of fun. I saw all kinds of neat things, fascinating things. I remember one time Dave was operating on a guy who had an obstruction and his bladder was very, very full. And Dave opened him up, and I'm standing about this distance away. And I see Dave look at me out of the corner of his eye, and I'm thinking, "Uh uh-oh. He takes a scalpel and plunges it into the bladder to relieve the poor guy, and it comes squirting straight toward me, and I manage to get out of the way. (laughs) So this idea of sterility in operating rooms, you know, it's not always true. But I, get, I would get Dave back because when we would come to the, to the ferry that would take us across the river, there's a bridge there now. When I would get to the ferry, Dave and I both had mustaches. Now, Dave's several inches taller than I am. But you know how some different races, they all look the same to us? Dave and I looked very similar because we were white. We had mustaches. <laughs> so I would have people come up and say, oh, doctor, 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 and tell me all their maladies. And this was, this was great. No problem. Tell you what, I can't help you now, but tomorrow morning, come to my office. (laughs) Just skip the lines, come straight in, and I'll help you tomorrow morning. Dave always knew when I had come in because he always had visitors that he knew nothing about who who were convinced that Dave had told them that they were supposed to come and see him directly. So Dave and I have a great relationship. Becky as well and and Fran, we get along really great. I mean, we see them from time to time really appreciated the things that they did. God blessed Dave's ministry at the Bungalow Hospital. Thousands of people have come to Christ through that medical ministry there. God called us to have something a little different. Dave was healing bodies and fixing people. Um, We were asked to reopen a Bible school that had been closed for eight years, uh, which we did. In fact, uh, our second term, we opened that Bible school and had students begin to come back. And then As we moved into our third term, the National Church asked us if we would open a higher-level Bible school, a Bible institute, with higher-level requirements for people to to be able to get in. And we were able to do that and move that to the capital city. And then in 93, the Lord did something very unusual, what we thought was unusual at the time. He said, I'd like you to go to France. Well, if there are any French people, I apologize here. Um, The French have... uh, a reputation that is not always positive in the eyes of many, many other nationalities. Um, they're, they're hard people to get to know. And we had obviously in Gabon had many French friends, so we weren't too worried about that, but we were asked to move to France. So here we are leaving these, this, this, this incredibly rich field in Gabon. 
People were turning to Christ by the thousands. Churches were being planted in villages and towns and cities. There were people coming to Christ all over the place. I, I, I kid you not, we could go into almost any village, show the Jesus film, preach, and there would be, there would be people responding to Christ in genuine ways. Churches were being planted all over the place. And now here God was taking us out of this warm, friendly, welcoming context and moving us to Paris, which was quite different. And we served there for four years as the, as the, as the field director, working with uh, our missionaries as well as with um, national church leaders. And we saw French people come to Christ. We praise God for that. We saw great avenues of outreach and opportunities there. Uh, we saw the national church become stronger. Uh, good things happened. And then I served for two years as a missionary in residence at the Alliance Theological Seminary, teaching about missions and stuff like that. It, that was great because I had an opportunity to influence lives that are overseas serving the Lord today as well as in the States. And to be a part of that process, just as your stories are being built now, when you're part of other people's stories, it's kind of a rewarding experience. And those two years at ATS were just great years, getting to know these young men and women who had given their lives to Christ and were moving into service and to be a part of their lives. And then in 99, got a real surprise. Um, actually, I wasn't expecting this at all. We were on our way back to France to serve again, and the Vice President for International Ministries at the Alliance said, John, I'd like you to... I'll stay over here. Um, I'd like you to become the regional director for the Europe and Middle East region. The alliance divides the world into five regions. There's Africa, there's Asia Pacific, there's Latin America, there's North and Central Asia, and there's Europe and the Middle East. At that time, it encompassed about 17, 18 different countries, about 175 missionaries. It stretched from, if you were looking at a map, it would stretch from England to Iraq, and from Morocco to Russia. Clear, different differences, cultural, ethnic, religious, uh, economic. And it, it, it rocked our world because here we had left a fruitful ministry in Gabon, in Africa, those lush green jungles for the concrete and asphalt jungles of cities uh, in Western Europe in a postmodern, post-Christian society. Um, we left tremendous harvest to go to places where there had been countries of Eastern Europe that were in post-communist, post-socialist kind of a context, as well as Muslim-dominated areas in North Africa and the Middle East. It, it was an, an incredible transition. And yet I look back on those 12 years that we served as the regional director for the Europe-Middle East region and loved every part of what we did. There were some difficult things to be sure, but a regional director leads an interesting life. Um, you're kind of in the middle of different things that go on around you, and there are three spheres that you're involved in. You, you report back to uh, people at the national office in Colorado Springs and international ministries. Um, then you, re you work with fields and teams as they are doing their ministry and developing their strategies, and then you're working with national churches. And so moving in those different contexts was, was fascinating. And in those three very distinct areas of Western Europe, Eastern Europe, and, and the Muslim-dominated worlds, moving in and out of those contexts all the time was just a fascinating kind of a job. Um, 
the interaction, the relationships that were built were, were, were rich and they were wonderful. Really, really appreciated that time. And then three and a half years ago, uh, we were asked to return to the U.S. and work with Alliance Churches on the West Coast to work with them primarily to encourage and assist them to engage more with Alliance missions. Why? Is there something romantic about Alliance missions? Is there something noble about it? Um, I don't think so. It, it goes back to what I spoke about in the first service, God's incredible love for us. The Bible says that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, while we were still in darkness. He died for us. He made the way back. It's his love that motivates us, filled by his spirit. We reach out to others around us. This, this incredible gift that he's given us ought to overflow in us and reach out to people that, that, don't, that don't know. I believe people support what they value. And if you don't support Alliance missions, it's because you either don't value it or you're not aware of what the Alliance is doing. And most of the time, I believe it's the latter. Most, many people just don't know too much about Alliance missions. Three Crosses is affiliated with the Christian Missionary Alliance, and we, we appreciate that. I appreciate getting to know Pastor Mark and Pastor Larry better uh, and being with you here today. It's, it's an opportunity for me to say, hey, you're part of something bigger. Thank you for being part of that bigger picture. Thank you for what you do here. But you're also part of something that reaches beyond what you do here with the Christian Missionary Alliance as well as other organizations and people that you support and that you're, that you're part of. And, and that's really good. And we do all this not just because Jesus tells us we're supposed to go and make disciples, not just because he tells us we're supposed to be witnesses here in our Jerusalems and Judeas and Samarias and around the world. We don't do it just because he's commanded us, but we do it because his love is so generous. It ought to overflow in us as we reach out to people around us. But so many people live in spiritual darkness. Early in my time in Africa, I'd been out with a fellow missionary and the national pastor, and we'd been out doing village ministries. We were driving back in Wayne's beat-up old Land Rover. If any of you own Land Rovers, I apologize for what I'm going to say. Uh, it may not be true. I'm doing a lot of apologizing this morning. I, apolo I apologize for that as well. If you want to learn to be a mechanic, buy a Land Rover. <laughs> that may not be true today, but that was my life. I repaired more broken Land Rovers in Africa than you can shake a stick at. We were driving back late one afternoon. It's getting dark, and Wayne's Land Rover stalled and died. And it's getting dark. We tried to start it. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. What are we going to do? Well, on the equator, when the sun goes down, you know, the light switch goes off. There's none of this gloaming and sunset. Oh, sunsets are beautiful, but when the sun dips below the horizon, it's dark. And we're on this jungle road. It's called a road. It's actually two kind of tracks that go through the forest that you kind of try to keep your... I mean, it's, you can see it. But when it's dark, you can't see it quite as well. So the three of us say, well... If we keep going, we'll get to a village at some point. And Mikombo, the pastor, said, oh, yeah, there's one just a few kilometers down the road. 
But by now, the sun is set. There are a few stars out, but you can't see them because the trees are overhead. It's dark. And we start walking. No flashlights, no lanterns, nothing. Mikomba was in front of me. Wayne was behind me. And I, I can hear Mikomba walking, but I can't see him. And there are noises in the jungle. <laughs> what are you laughing at? They're not nice noises because you don't know what's making them. And we're walking along, and I'm, yeah, it, nervous. Now, Mikombo knows what he's doing. He, this is his home. He seems pretty confident. And I think he's walking because he keeps putting his feet on the path and not on the grass or the stuff growing on the side. So I'm trying to follow him, and it's dark. I wasn't really lost, but I didn't really know where I was, and it was kind of disconcerting. And we're walking along, and after maybe 20 minutes or half an hour, I mean, it's dark and all these noises around us, we saw something in the distance. Oh. And it kind of shimmered and then disappeared, and then kind of shimmered and disappeared, and I stopped. And Wayne bumps into me. I said, what's that? He says, I don't know. <laughs> what is it? And we kind of stood there, called me Combo back. And as that got closer to us, it became obvious it was a light. It was someone walking along the road, along the path with a lantern, and just swinging it back and forth. Oh, man. Light made such a difference. We could see the road again. Not real well, but you could see it. And we walked with this guy another couple kilometers back to a village that, you know, where we were known. And they gave us lanterns and flashlights, and we continued for another five or ten kilometers walking that night, got home around midnight. Our wives had no idea what was going on, and they were a little nervous and stuff, but we made it home. And I got to thinking, what's it like to live lost? And are there degrees to being lost? Mark, are you and your wife here? Come on up. Where is she, hiding? I didn't tell you about this. Where's that other handheld? I want to try something. I just told Mark, I said, I might ask you to do something for me. So he's... I'll step over here. I'm a lion. No. <laughs> no, hang on to that. Have you guys ever been to Wabash, Indiana? No. So if we were to teletransport Mark and Tracy, Tracy onto Main Street in Wabash, Indiana, have any, anybody else been to Wabash, Indiana? This no group one. doesn't get around one. too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one person. If we were to transport you and drop you in the middle of Wabash, Indiana on Main Street, you would know it's Main Street because you see a sign. And I'm telling you, I want you to find 1527 North Street. Would you know how to get there? Do you know where that is? Are they lost? Kind of? A lot? Okay, how would you find 1527 North Street? GPS. GPS, guess what? <laughs> Absolutely. Your battery's dead. How lost are they? Never ask for directions. 
I take out my cell phone. I call John Corby because obviously uh, you're telling the story the and you can tell me. Battery's dead. Oh, our cell phone so is I'll dead. I'll ask for directions. I'll okay. ask for directions. Now, in what language are you going to ask for directions? English. English. How lost are they? Is there hope? Yeah. And you ask for directions. Great. What if you didn't find anybody on the street? What would you do? I'd probably go into a business. Okay. Okay. And, and again, ask. you're asking in, Chris, in, in English? In English. Okay, but it's getting a little later. All the businesses are closed. We look for a Christian and Missionary Alliance church. <laughs> that's, that's a good answer. It's like, it's like Sunday school answers where the kids say Jesus all the time. Um, how are you going to find the Christian Missionary Alliance church? That was a joke. I'd probably uh, try to find... A police officer, someone okay. that is an official in the area. All right, good. Again, you're going to use English, so that's helpful. But let's say you don't find a police officer. Mm. <laughs> Does he look lost? <laughs> what do you do? What's next? <laughs> Her and I would just find a hotel. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, what would we do? We'd pray. We pray. That's very good. There you go. Maybe, yep, yep, can't argue with that. But God doesn't choose to answer our prayer at that time, so then what do we do? <laughs> she gets it. Maybe you see a 7-Eleven on the corner. There you go. What might you find? A map. A map. Great. And the map would be written in? Hopefully English. English. <laughs> very good. And now, would you actually buy the map or just look at the map at the counter and not pay for it? Uh, he wouldn't pay for it. I would pay for it. Okay. I would feel too bad. He's got, he's got Tyler jeans in him. Where's Vern? <laughs> and how would you buy the map? So how come you invited her up here and not just me? <laughs> Hopefully we have some money. Hopefully we have money. I'm, I'm building a story, Mark. Yes, yes. Money. Dollars? Dollars. Great. Mm -hmm. And they would be accepted. Right. And I think at, at some point, whether they're talking to people, whether they buy a map, uh, you're going to be able to find 1527 North Street. How lost were they to begin with? A little bit. But what happened? What, what came to their aid? 7-Eleven. Resources. Yeah, resources. Information. Resources yeah. and things that were... Available. Available. There was access to information. Hmm. Have you ever been to Kulamutu, Gabon? Anybody else ever been to Kulamutu? If you have, I would have met you. We're going to drop Mark and Tracy on Rue de la République in the middle of Kulamutu. And I want you to find Papa Mukingi in Pungu Pungu. <laughs> How are you going to do it? Wait a minute. They've never been there. They don't know where it is. Are they lost? Yeah. How are you going to find it? I don't have my cell phone to call Dave Thompson, right? <laughs> my good buddy? Batteries are dead. Ooh. Wow. And I, hmm. I can't remember the name who we're supposed to be asking for. So <laughs> i got to remember the name. How lost? Very lost. Like Papa yeah. Mukingi. In the Pungu Pungu Cartier. Papa, I can't even pronounce Mukingi. it. Mukingi. 
Papa Mukindi. Gi. Papa Mukingi. Right. That's good. So you can say the name. Okay. And how are you going to find it? Mm. Ask. Ask, but we don't know the Do you language. Speak French? Uh, um, I was going to say, poquito. <laughs> 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 petite, petite en français. <laughs> No, just. Yes, she does a little bit do you do you speak any Inzebi? Ooh. Body language. <laughs> That's going to be hard. Seven Elevens? Not there. Oh. Well, there are gas stations. Hey, what if they find a map in a gas station? Ah. Speak French? Read French? Street signs. There aren't any. How are they going to find Papa Mukingi in Punga Punga? Mm. How lost are Mark and Tracy now? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, that's good. Is there a difference between lost and lost? I think there is. I think there are degrees of lostness. You can be lost and have access to information and help. And you can be lost with no access to information or help. And obviously, you can make that parallel transfer into the spiritual realm. There are those who are lost all around us. But there's help close by. They have access to it. They have access to you. You have access to them. But when Mark and Tracy are in Kulamutu, their access for information and help diminishes to practically nothing. And there are people like that in other parts of the world that we're not aware of. I talked about that a little bit this morning. But that's what drives me. That's why I gave my life to God to serve him, to try to reach people who didn't have access. That started out in Gabon. And we saw God do some incredible things. When we left Gabon, 8% of the entire population of the country, 8% attended an alliance church. We moved to France, where one half of 1% of the entire population was evangelical. We went from the dark continent to a very, very dark place in Europe and the Middle East. Why? because of that darkness issue, because of the access issue. That's what drives me. That's what motivates me. Why do I share that with you? Because you can be part of that process here. You're Jerusalem. You're Judeas. The things that I see this church do, Mark, I, I'm, I'm blown away. The opportunities for you to engage, and whether it's Stephen's ministry, a Stephen minister, or the men's ministry and outreach, and all the other things that you guys have going on, you can be a part of that. Why? Because you're providing access to people who don't know Christ. You have opportunities in the larger mission sense to step into organizations like the Christian Missionary Alliance and other groups that you support as well. You can be a part of that to see that those people who don't have access, people who are seriously, seriously lost, you can be a part of that as you pray. You can be a part of that as you send people, as you go yourselves in different ways. You can be part of that as you give to missions. 
And I thank you for the giving that you provide to your missions organizations of which the CMA benefits, and I thank you for that. I sincerely thank you. But I challenge you to, don't, to not stop, not to coast, but to ramp it up because there are a lot of people who are seriously lost, and we're not even aware of them. But we're sending people to them to provide access. Thanks. It's been good to be with you. Mark? All right. Let's thank John again. Appreciate you so much, John. Appreciate it, buddy. Um, and John, you know, you can, he's, he needs to get kind of wired up and taken off, go backstage, and you can go ahead and take off, John. It's not a problem. It's, uh, let's thank him again as he heads on over. Appreciate it, buddy, so much. Um, you know, access, wow. You know, just to think about how you may be that map, you know, that light, so to speak, for someone in your family, someone that uh, God has placed around your life. We may be the only, you know, gospel that someone reads, the only Bible that someone reads. And think about that. You're an access point. You're lights. In the midst of God building His story, you know, you're a little Christ. And think about folks around you who need prayer even right now. Hmm. I want to talk just briefly. We got a little bit of time. Just about your story and what God may be doing in your life. You know, as uh, John was talking about that moment in his life when he was walking, can't you just picture that in the middle of that jungle, forest, it's dark, and what is ahead? What is that? Maybe you feel like you're kind of in a little bit of darkness in your own life. Um, isn't it cool, though, that light that just, what is that? And it became clear that this is light. And what does the psalmist say? Thy word is a what? a lamp into my feet and a light to my path. This right here. I just want to encourage you to turn to this. Wherever you're at in your story, God, through His Word, gives us light, gives us hope, gives us encouragement. And I wonder if we had the time for you to come up, take this mic, and if you were able to just share your story, you know, what chapter are you in right now? You think of a story, it has different parts to it, doesn't it? It has a climax. It has villains that enter in. It has twists and turns. It has moments of great joy. And where are you at in your story? Where, where, does, where do you find yourself in the midst of the drama of what God's doing in your life? Why don't you just think about that? You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is just Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. I want to give this to you. It says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship. You're God's masterpiece. He's writing His story in your hearts in your life, in your marriage, in your family. He's in control. He's there. Even sometimes when you don't see Him, He's there. And then He brings His light. Isn't it amazing how many times you go to church and it's like God brings to you just what you needed to hear 
to intersect where you are on that path when you're questioning, when you're wondering, and you put yourself near the Savior, and He just kind of meets you where you're at and gives you the light you need to take the next step in the journey. I find that to me amazing. God is so loving and kind. Hmm. The other day, I don't know why I wrote this down. I pulled off the side of the road. I heard this quote as I was lifted, listening to Christian radio. And I thought, am I ever going to use that? And I'm like, well, Lord, I guess this is the time I can use it. But this is the quote that I heard. God is an artist. He will take your mess and turn it into a masterpiece. He's an artist. And he'll take your mess and he'll turn it into a masterpiece. That's the story of my life. Man, if you would have met me before I knew Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. I'm looking over here at Wayne. If you would have met Wayne before he knew Jesus, you wouldn't even be in this room. If you would have met Joe before he knew Jesus, you would have run from this room. I'm just joking. Isn't it amazing, though? Anita just said, no, it's true. <laughs> The difference that Jesus makes when we draw near to his light, huh? I just feel just compelled. You know, it's not often that we have a little bit of time. This is like every Sunday it feels like I'm out of time with you guys. You know what I'm saying? And I, I'm so excited to just be able to pray for you. I mean, what a privilege. I feel like there's so much of my ministry that brings God to the people, but I don't get enough time to bring you to God. And you know, both need to take place. And I feel like we just run, run, run. And uh, even in your own life, yeah, bring the Lord to you through His Word, but also bring your life to the Lord through prayer. There's a balance that we need. And if you go one way or the other, the pendulum swings one way or another, it's an imbalanced life. And so how's your balance in your spiritual walk? If you're a dad, are you bringing God to your kids, but also are you bringing your kids to God? If you're married, are you bringing your wife, your husband to God, but also bringing God to your wife or husband? If you're single, people around you, it doesn't matter where you are in life, there's those two things that always need to be kind of alive and real in our life, you know? You need relationships. You need to be around people where they're bringing God to you and lifting you up to God. That's why, like, small groups are so important. That's why meeting around, that's why we have you sitting around tables right now. Next Sunday is going to be really cool. So I want to, I do need to have some time to give some announcements to tell you about the future. But, you know, I don't want to lose the moment right now. So what I, I think I want to do two things. One is... Um, I want to give you a little table time right now, maybe four minutes. And if there's, it, this is not forced, but the people that are around your table, they love you. They really love you. And let me just say this, there's power in prayer. There really is power in prayer. Prayer changes things. I could tell you story after story after story if I had time, and you could as well. God does miracles when we pray. And I'm just going to trust that the Lord has put you at a table where you may have something you need to share with that group of people, 
something about your story that needs prayer right now, and God has raised up some people there to bring your need to Him. They want to minister to you right now and bring that need to the Lord. And if you find at your table the Holy Spirit, that, that's maybe not the case, then guess what? This is your time at, as a table to really pray for the world that's lacking access, for the areas of darkness throughout Europe and throughout Asia and throughout Africa. I mean, I could go on telling you the continents. A lot of you know, but God knows. Let's pray for people that lack access. If for some reason there isn't someone that really needs prayer at that table, but if the Holy Spirit, even right now, you're just feeling your heart, I need prayer. There are people there that love you. And then I want to pray as a whole for each of you, for all of us here. So I'm going to give like five minutes right now just at your tables, to have some time. If you're going to share, share a minute and then pray for four minutes. Are you following me? Let's pray. This is a time of prayer. Someone feels led to share? Listen to that need. Bring it to God. Take a few moments. Go for it.